today. President Trump apparently pushing behind closed doors to reopen the economy uh, next month. Also, New Yorkers are asked if they would choose longer, more severe coronavirus crisis. Uh, if it means Trump loses the election, you will not believe the responses. And lastly, Barack Obama still does not endorse his vice president, <laughs> Joe Biden. That is awkward. We've got a lot to get into, and it starts right now. Happy Friday. It's Friday. Finally, uh, maybe those of you are you're just at home every day and you don't realize what day it is. But we do because we've been here all week. It's Friday. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. I'm Sarah Gonzalez. Today joined by once again, Stu Bergier, host of Stu Does America here on Blaze TV. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, we've also got a host of I'm Right on the first and nationally syndicated radio program, The Jesse Kelly Show. <laughs> also the number one Jesse Kelly fan the man himself, Jesse Kelly. Hey, if you don't love yourself, then who else will? <laughs> well, I mean, in your case, that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, we've got a lot to get into today. First, I want to get to uh, President Trump apparently pushing behind closed doors to reopen most, I should say, much of the United States next month. Now, he did say, you know, that he did have this goal. Um, he said this in, I believe it was one of his press conferences, he did have this goal of May 1st, uh, trying to resume business activity. And um, he has even floated, apparently, uh, trying to reopen much of the country before the end of the month. Um, I to me, it's clear he's scrambling. He's trying to come up with a way to avoid uh, the economic fallout that we keep seeing happen every single week, that we see these new numbers come out uh, that are devastating. Um, Stu, what is your take on this? Well, I mean, we, you know, the, the economy is obviously a disaster at the moment. Uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed that. Uh, it's really, really ugly out there. And, uh, you know, I think there is a there's a plan that he's trying to work towards in which, you know, like I don't look, I don't do I think New York City is going to be open uh, right. at the end of this month. No. Right. Uh, Detroit, probably not. Uh, New Orleans, maybe not. There's definitely some areas that are going to be problematic, probably going to that uh, into that time. We'll see. Um, but like, look, Wyoming. I, I don't. I wouldn't see why Wyoming wouldn't be able to open right now. Um, what about Texas, even it, Texas. I mean, we have a large economy. I, yeah, I think, and I think Texas, like you know, look, it, it would be, I think, a situation in which, and again, it's this is a tough situation for him to call. But I think the the idea being that the plan is probably something like let's open it up. Let's slow roll it as much as we can, right? Like where we're not necessarily going into packed bars for concerts on May 1st, but restaurants are opening up, uh, you know, maybe there's some restrictions on certain activities, but the, generally, the general vibe is open it up, let things happen, see what develops, and if something pops up, if there is an outbreak somewhere else, they're going to have to deal with them individually. That's, I think, a model that um, the American people are going to be annoyed with at times, but like if we can get to a place where most people are able to do their thing and when something bad happens, we try to do our best to control it until we have some treatment or vaccine. That's probably where this goes. Um, you know, it's uh, it's not going to open up the economy to 100 percent of its earlier levels. And that's going to have all sorts of implications uh, beyond uh, beyond the economy with politics and everything else. But I mean. If he opens up the economy completely and we get flare-ups, mm -hmm. he's going to have a lot of problems, too. He's enough. I would not want to be this guy. I mean, yeah. this is this is a awesome. tough freaking series of decisions he's making. Um, but my guess is, you know, we all know Donald Trump. We've known him for 40 years. 
the thing he wants to do more than anything in the entire universe, I would assume, is to open up this economy, yeah. right? Like, he is not a guy who's like, you know what, I would love to close the economy for six weeks in an election year and see what happens. That's not a, that's not a Donald Trump, uh, you know, uh, persona, I don't think. So I think once, as soon as he can get past, he's set a deadline already for the end of the month. I don't necessarily expect it before that. But I think at the end of the month, he probably will do a, a relatively wide opening of things. Um, the states are a different story, though. Yeah. Remember, you got a lot of blue states mixed in there that are going to do whatever the hell they want. And obviously, there's an incentive there because uh, the better the economy is, the better uh, Donald Trump's chances to be reelected. Yeah. Jesse, uh, I know you've very much been on the why in the hell are we shutting down the economy bandwagon. So I guess I want to hear from you. Did President Trump get it wrong when he decided to listen to his advisors, you know, uh, pushing for that? I guess I know ultimately it's the state's decision, but he did recommend these guidelines that led to the states, uh, you know, with these new shelter in place orders. Uh, but did he get it wrong? And if so, where? Well, of course he got it wrong. There's a, look, there's no question he got it wrong. And, and I'm starting to see people more and more starting to come to my side on it. And sadly, I, my goal for this has never been to be right the whole time. My goal is to stop what we're doing, which is committing national suicide. That's been my goal the entire time. And we are. And you see this. We have already officially 17 million people unemployed. That means unofficially we're well over 20 million we're talking end of April, best case scenario. Uh, I've got April 10th. We realize that's 30 to 40 million unemployed Americans, right? We realize that's generational wealth destroyed. That's healthcare destroyed as pediatricians, local doctor's offices, hospitals are already shutting down. That's great for public health. Let's have a national pandemic and wipe out all the nurses and hospitals in the country. That was a really that was a really brilliant plan. So, yes, of course, it was an awful decision. Now, to what Stu said, I wouldn't have ever wanted to make that decision. You're the president of the United States of America. Then somebody sets a bunch of papers in front of you and says two million people are going to die if you don't do X. What's he going to do? Right. It's not like I can't stand the guy for it. I love him. I voted for him. I'm going to vote for him again. But it was the wrong call. And he's not the only one that made it. Countries across the globe have made it. And they're now all they look, they slipped their head in the guillotine and we're all just waiting for it to fall now. Yeah. Jesse, where do you think the disconnect is? Um, you know, with, because there are a lot of people who it's just like they they don't factor in the lives that could be destroyed uh, or even lost, you know, when you're talking about suicide and things of that nature, when it comes to uh, a recession and you're talking about the economy and, you know, you mentioned all of these jobs that are, are lost now and still stand to be lost if we keep this up longer. Wh where's the disconnect? Because I look at it and I see it immediately and I, I can't quite figure out, and I know you've talked to a lot more people than I have, what are they not getting? Well, there are two things that they're not getting. One, everybody asks me, well, how could everybody agree to do the same thing? All it takes is one. All it takes is one person agreeing to do it and no different than in ancient times in a battle when you would find out the left flank started to flee and then everybody left. That's how it works always. That's human nature. One country decides we have to do X, then the next one does, the next one does. And before you know it, what's awful, what's stupid has become, well, that's just common knowledge. That's what you do. But to answer your question, the common sense thing is simply this. The reason it's crazy to you, the reason it's crazy to so many people like you and I is because we do not live, work, and worship within the D.C. New York City corridor. Mm -hmm. And I love New York City. I hate D.C., but I love New York City. I'm not <laughs> bad-mouthing them. But what we have right now is not a single policymaker, 
Not a single political, well, not very many political pundits with big platforms are missing a paycheck. And that's the bottom line. As soon as you have to walk in your home at the end of a Saturday or a Friday or whatever you got done with work and tell your wife that you just lost your job and you're not sure how you're going to eat and pay the bills next month, you have a much different view on a less than 1% chance of being killed by a virus. However, if you're a political pundit, and I'm look, I'm not insulting this, what I do now for a living too, but if you sit on your couch and all this means is you watch some more Netflix and now you do your blogs from your jammies and you have to do an MSNBC hit on Skype every now and then and life is fine, there's nothing easier in the world than just saying, shut it all down, let's be safe. Well, that, that, that sounds nice when you're not waiting in line at a food bank. Yeah. Um, Stu, make sense of this for me, because I really I'm trying to and I can't. Uh, Florida, Gov Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, said that he is now mulling over bringing kids back to school. He says, well, we know now that uh, it doesn't really affect kids, which I'm like, well, we, we didn't we already know that before we made the decision to shut down the schools? Because that's not what it's about. So he says, you know, we see value in bringing kids back to school, even if it's just for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, if it's safe, we want kids to be in school. Yeah, it's, it, the, the school thing is interesting in that there actually is a decent amount of disagreement as to whether it's a good idea, even from the people who are advising the president. And that, like, there's some argument that you're right. Um, you know, what happens is that people, um, healthcare workers have kids too. And if they, their kids are home, they can't go work at hospitals. And there's like lots of problems there. I don't think the argument is necessarily that it's going to hurt kids as much. As, as you're right, it's, it, it obviously can. It has uh, affected some younger people, but the percentages are very, very low. The issue is, of course, they can pass it to each other and then bring it home to grandpa and grandma. And that's been kind of like the, the larger idea there. I mean, I think, you know, you know my situation, Sarah. My wife basically wants to uh, murder everybody in the world right now because she does not want to do homeschooling. Let me tell you, she and I are um, jumping off a bridge oh, together. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. That is that <laughs> level of crazy. Like, she, this is like literally the, the, the worst thing that's ever happened to her in her entire life. It's like <laughs> a pandemic. I, I, I'm not teaching my kids math. Um, so from that perspective, like, I, you know, I think even with her, she is very much mentally prepared that this year is shot, right? Like she, it's a very long summer vacation and we got nowhere else to go on this one. Uh, to bring them back at this point, I don't know if it makes much sense. We, we were talking about this as like, it probably makes sense to just kind of call the school year here at mm -hmm. somewhat soon, maybe even a little earlier, just get it out of there and then like plan on if things are going well, you bring them back maybe a month early um, and kind of get they, they get a little bit of the previous year and then you go on to the next year and, and it goes that way. It seems a little bit more sensible than than kind of dragging parents around and keep thinking like, well, we might bring them back. Maybe not. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. <laughs> it seems to be not only screwing um, with uh, everybody's heads, but more importantly, screwing with my wife's head. And that's really <laughs> the only thing I care about right now. <laughs> Jesse, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, for one, I'm thinking that I'm glad I got married so I don't have to homeschool my kids just like school, just like students. So that's the best thing in the world. Uh, and two, look, so much of what I, what I have to say about this is just going to sound Debbie Downer. But the truth is, the things that I want changed now cannot be changed. We have opened up Pandora's box and school is just another part of it. As soon as you decided collectively that locking down a nation is a solution, which, by the way, no nation in the history of the world, in the history of the world, has ever done that. The worst shutdowns we've ever seen were like the Spanish flu, and we didn't see shutdowns even close to this level for a much more deadly disease. 
No nation has ever done this because they all knew it was national suicide. You can close off a building. You can try to close off a city. They actually built a wall around Marseille at one point in time. You can't close off a nation because then you kill yourself. Mm -hmm. But the, we've opened up Pandora's box. And now how do you tell people to go back to school? What? Wait, you just told me we have to hide at home or we're all going to die. But now you want to go back to school when, of course, we could go back to school. But it changes your entire message that you've just yeah. said. It's why I don't think we'll open up major parts of the economy at the end of April, even though we should. Well, how can we do that? The virus isn't gone yet. When instead, the initial messaging should have been adult messaging from real sober adults who actually thought about things and said, well, yes, we have a pandemic. No, we can't destroy a $20 trillion economy for a pandemic for any reason. We're going to focus on the hotspots. We're going to focus on protecting the people most vulnerable. And we're going to keep going on with everything else we can do. That's how an adult makes decisions. But today, because we live in this social media world where everything has to be Facebook mom perfect, now here we are. Even if it even costs one life, is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. A Great Depression, 40 million unemployed Americans. I'm sorry, nobody wants to say this because you sound like a big meanie face. Uh, that's worth a lot of lives because that will cost a lot of lives. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, and Jesse makes a great point here in that, like, we, we had a situation where, you know, a lot of the data has come out now about before the shutdown and what they what we saw before the shutdown that people were not going out anyway like we were getting 50 60 70 percent cuts in people going out to restaurants anyway once that they hit that point of of holy crap something's going on even if every you know trump republican decided they were going to go out to the restaurants restaurants can't survive on 50 percent of the traffic so it pushes them down a, a, a very hard line and you don't see a real ending to this like we can all talk about now opening it up but it's like if we open it up and people are terrified mm -hmm. right like they're not going to come out and, and, and the economy's not going to start raging again anyway of course luckily we do have a very dynamic place and we do have a place that i think hopefully eventually we'll get some sort of tr at least a treatment again we don't need a vaccine for people to i think to feel confident here but at least a treatment where we can say all right if you you know if you're if you're at a 10 you're about to die let's we can we can slide it back to an eight and so you're at least going to be uncomfortable, but you'll survive. If at least we can get people to that point, they'll be, you know, they won't be terrified to go out in, in this. I do think that that would be a problem if we if we just you know blanket open things up, because if there is a breakout and believe me, the media will do everything they can, even if it's minor to make it sound major. People are going to want to go back in their home again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's tough. You can't you're right, Jesse, you can't go back in time and change it. And it's like now we're, we're in this thing. Uh, it's already here. So what, you know, at this point, you have to try to, like, Trump's going to have to try to walk this line of being, uh, doing it like a surgeon. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to have to try to make this, you know, uh, he's going to try to have to find the, the areas that, where there are no breakouts and open those up. And when something happens, have a really sober mindset and go in there and say, this is how we're handling this. Everything is going to be okay. Uh, that part over there is now open. Maybe everybody goes over uh, <laughs> to that state. Um, but it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a rocky road. This is not going to be a, an easy, smooth recovery. And, and with that said, you know, and the media, the way the media is going to exploit it, re-election is not going to be easy um, for Donald Trump at this point. This is this is, you know, it's you know, it's one of the biggest challenges any president has ever faced. Um, and, you know, if people see it, you know, as Jesse mentioned, like, you know, if people see it as he, he made a mistake, uh, he, he did this wrong. How is he going to survive that? You know, I mean, I, there will be people who are really, you know, people who are talking about this every day that really follow all this stuff that would never vote for Joe Biden that won't go that way. But those people in the middle who are just kind of got a feeling, you know, 
that's going to it's going to be tough to win that, especially with the with the media behind Biden. Yeah, We'll see what the uh, messaging ends up being coming up next. Church members get five hundred dollar tickets for sitting in their vehicles with the windows closed during a radio service uh, church Unreal. service in the parking lot. We'll get into that. But first, we want to thank our sponsor keeps. All right. Kyle and Josh, they were both losing their hair. Now, this is no shock since the dreaded male pattern baldness gene that runs in their families. You can't do anything about it. But the way they dealt with their hair loss could not have been more different. So Kyle over here, uh, he kept putting off getting hair loss treatment. He kept losing hair. But Josh over here, do you like how my hands just became people? Uh, Josh went to Keeps to learn how to keep his hair because Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products. They are the real deal, and they also are going to save you a fortune. All it took for Josh was a very quick online consultation. He answered some questions. He took a few pictures of his hair. He submitted it all. A doctor reviewed it and recommended the right hair loss treatment for him. They also ship it discreetly, directly to your door. Directly to your door is nice when the government is forcing you to stay on your couch all day, every day. Uh, to get you started, I got you half off of your first order. Yeah, that's right. I said half off. Go to keeps.com. That's K-E-E-P-S.com slash Y. Keeps.com slash Y. 50% off right now if you go to keeps.com slash Y. All right, the parking lot at the Temple Baptist Church in Greenville, Mississippi, they were totally full uh, Wednesday night. They had a church service. Now these church members uh, sat, listened to their radios, listened to the church service on their radios in the parking lot. Their windows were up and uh, the police were apparently called because uh, a bunch, like I said, I said it on, I believe I've said it with Jesse and I've also said it with Stu. It's these damn suburban moms that don't have anything better to do than to call the police on people. And what do you know? The police show up and start issuing $500 tickets to these people who are sitting in their cars with their windows up. Now, um, I'm still having trouble finding like what exactly the law is that they broke. Um, but, you know, you want to talk about the more insidious underlying part of this whole coronavirus pandemic and government response. This is it. This is nonsense, right? I mean, it, the, some of these pictures kind of look like there are people outside. Not that that should be any make any difference, right? You should be able to make your own choices. Um, I mean, but, the pe but the people who reported, who, who some, spoke to right, people, right, the newspaper, yeah. they were like, we <laughs> were sitting there with our windows up and we got $500 tickets. It's incredible. I mean, you know, we have the, the example of the mom and the, uh, the dad and the daughter playing baseball in a park and they're getting arrested. You've got the guy in the, in the ocean who he's getting arrested. There's a new uh, Michigan just put in a new executive order. Yes. Executive order. I think it's 42. Um, think of just there's a million things wrong with it. But let me give you this little one. Um, they are banning businesses from advertising anything other than necessities. So if you're a local radio station and you're taking advertisement from like a car dealership, you have to now reject that your advertising because people might think they can go buy cars. <laughs> like what? Why would it matter? Like if I, it's just insanity. This is just like, you know, they are going so crazy because they're all trying to outdo each other as jesse mentioned earlier that one of them starts and now no one wants to be the first person who gives in on one of these things so then they look like they're the ones endangering people it's we've gone down a really dark road I, we haven't seen much of that in places like texas i haven't seen at least 
But it's happening uh, in, in blue states now, and it will come to plenty of red states as well. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, that's not the only thing Michigan did. They also uh, banned travel between households. <laughs> so you're not allowed to travel from house to house in the state of Michigan. Uh, I mean, big government tyranny, anybody? Jesse? Well, no, look, the truth of the matter is, and this has been the most disappointing of this for me, is we have a lot of tyrants and a lot of slaves in this country that are now using this coronavirus thing as an absolute wet dream for everything they've always wanted. That's just the bottom line. These people have always dreamed of this kind of power. We've got a bunch of governors and mayors who grew up as losers and they never had a girlfriend and they never did anything fun their whole lives. And finally, they want power over somebody, so they run for office, and then they finally get into office, and they find out their power is a little bit limited. But oh, what? Oh, we've got a virus? Oh, boy, now I can send the cops out to some freaking kid playing on the monkey bars. I've never been so disgusted in my entire life. And you're right about the suburban moms. There is no bigger tyrant in America today than white suburban women. I've never seen anything like it. We have it in my neighborhood all the time already going on right now. They're jogging across the street if they see you walking by. They're putting up these stupid Facebook posts about how we need to send the cops out because I just saw some teenagers playing basketball. These people are disgusting. There is nothing worse than a do-gooder suburban white woman trying to protect all of her kids. They, they, have, they have destroyed liberty in this country, and nothing is more apparent. And you know the most amazing thing? They change elections. Everybody, both parties talk about the fact they have, well, we have to win back suburban women. We have to win back suburban women. And that's why both parties suck, because both parties have to dedicate all their time to appealing to a bunch of little tyrants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to close that out, Stu. Well, I mean, we've talked to I, I don't know if she's ever been on this show, but Lenore Scanese, who's a, yeah. an activist, she does the free range kids thing. This all this crap was all happening before the pandemic. They were yelling at kids for playing by themselves in the park, and they were arresting the parents before the pandemic came. So now we're at a point where they they seemingly have a reason to do it. It's it's getting much much worse. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jesse. I know you got to run, so thank you so so much for joining us today. Again, you can find Jesse on uh, the first. He is host of I'm Right, which I did. Stu and I did catch <laughs> earlier. You said, "Look, I'm not trying to be right any or anything. I mean, it's just the name of your show, so I highly doubt that." Uh, also, host of the nationally syndicated now. Congratulations again, by the way, radio program, uh, the Jesse Kelly Show. Jesse Kelly, thank you as always. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Now joining us, we have Brad Palumbo. He is, uh, he's a jack of all trades, really, but he is uh, with the Washington Examiner. I, did I get that right, Brad? I don't have, I don't have a producer with yeah. note cards, so I'm going by memory here. Deputy yeah, editor of the editor. Washington, of Washington Examiner. Yep. Oh, hell yeah, nailed it. <laughs> uh, so thank you for joining us, Brad. I know it's your maiden voyage on the show. Uh, you were on Stu's show last week, I believe, on Stu Does America. But um, around here, we like to keep it like way more fun than Stu's show, mm -hmm. just so you know. It's true. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even <laughs> I like to have more fun here than on my own show. Stu is generally not fun, mm-hmm. so we like to keep it fun here. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to get into, uh, this was just released today on Politico. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said that she is considering keeping the House of Representatives out of session longer than what they were supposed to return, uh, which was April 20th. They had a recess until then. She says, nope, you know what? We may not come back until well into May. And by the way, oh, by the way, uh, President Trump should not reopen the economy. That's what she had to say. And then when she was asked, well, when should we reopen the economy? She said, well, look, (laughs) I love this quote. Nobody can really tell you that. And I would never venture a guess. I certainly don't think we should do it sooner than we should. Oh, which is really saying something. Yeah, I certainly don't think we should do it sooner than we should. Uh, This has taken an acceleration from when we started this. Little did we know then that at this point, we'd be further confined uh, and that President Trump reopening too soon. She said, I would hope that the scientific community would weigh in and say, you can't do this. It's only going to make matters worse if you go out too soon. Brad, it is your first time on the show. I'm going to give you the first word at this. What are your thoughts on Nancy Pelosi's latest? Well, I can't say I'm too surprised to hear this from her, but it's not really productive. I mean, we're go- sh- we shouldn't reopen before we should. That- that's not exactly <laughs> brilliant insight from the Speaker of the House there. But more importantly, I want to touch on this whole we won't bring the House back uh, mm-hmm. for a longer time. That's unexcusable to me. Mm-hmm. Being a member of Congress is such a cushy, ridiculous job already. <laughs> and we're in a time of national crisis and Nancy Pelosi wants to be not in session. I mean, there's bills that need to be passed. There's statutes that need to be updated. We need our federal government in action right now. I don't even know what she's thinking. I don't know how she could possibly justify that. Yeah, it's true, Stu. Uh, You know, to Brad's point, I mean, she's already kind of sitting and waiting. We've got this Paycheck Protection Act that the money's due to run out anytime now. And Nancy Pelosi doesn't seem to be in any sort of hurry to uh, get Congress back and get them in action. No, in fact, she wants the, the scientific community to step in and say that it's not okay. Like, yes. I mean, I can understand saying you want the scientific community to step in and say what they think is right. Right. But to say that they, they should be they leading should, the country, they be, yeah, they, apparently. They should actually be telling us it's not okay, no matter whether they think it is or not. Um, you know, look, there's a, uh, I think one thing we learn here, maybe in more clear terms than we ever learned before, is that... Th- the the grab for power, the uh, the ability, the, the never let a crisis go to waste mindset, the the idea that you can leverage this moment to get things that you want, um, it will always be their top desire. I mean, we're talking about tens, hundreds of thousands of lives potentially at stake, and this is what they they're doing. Not to mention the economy. I mean, right? Like they could step in easily. Mitch McConnell said it. All we're doing, like legitimately all we're doing, is crossing out the $350 billion and making it $600 billion. That's it. Right. Now, they're not changing any of the rules. They're, not, they're just putting more money into this pot. Lots of other topics we can get into as to how much money we're spending and how this is going to work out in the end. But the bottom line is, if you actually care about these small businesses and, them, and the people who are employed by them, staying employed by them, you need to step in and do something about this. And she would rather not show up. And when she was there, they had an, they had a chance to pass it the other day, decided not to because they wanted to try to extract even more out of it. And it's a tough spot. To, they they are correct that they are putting the Republicans in a very difficult spot because the Republicans want to get this done, obviously. And if they don't do it, 
The media is still going to blame them somehow. Uh, so they are in an impossible spot. And will they fold? Probably will. They probably will just give. This is this is the problem with these bills and why they get so expensive. It's it's you know they want. $250 billion for something they find to be a good idea, well, Nancy Pelosi will say, well, then we need our $250 billion. And the only way they can compromise is to say yes to both. Mm-hmm. So then it's $500 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be going down that road. We're already multiple trillions of dollars uh, down it, and it is going to continue. I don't know why you're, I mean, trillion, that's just a made-up word at this yeah, point, too. It doesn't mean anything, <laughs> please. I uh, want to get to Ami Horowitz, good friend of the program, Ami Horowitz. He has been on this program before. He does these little documentaries, these little short films. And he went to the streets of New York to ask the people if they would choose. He said, let's make a deal. Let's choose. Would you rather have a longer, more severe coronavirus pandemic uh, if it means Trump loses the election? I I hope you're sitting down for this. Your head's going to explode. Watch. I'm Ami Horowitz. I'm here in the East Village. We know the president is not exactly popular here, but how unpopular is he? Would you go for this deal that the coronavirus lasts longer and is more severe, but the president guarantees to lose the election? That's a hard question. So, that's a hard question. I don't know. That's a hard choice to make. Sorry, guys. I would go for the longer virus. I want him gone. Okay, no matter what? No matter what, yeah. Would you make that deal? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I would. I would. Uh, yep. Yeah? Yep. Frankly, yes. Failure. Yeah. yeah. You make that deal? Absolutely. You take that deal? I would. That's a little Yeah. Let the coronavirus be more severe. I'd much rather he himself got it, but he's more dangerous to American people. He's more dangerous to the American people than coronavirus. Yes. He's worse than coronavirus? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He's more dangerous than the coronavirus? Absolutely. You agree? Yeah. Yep. Is there a number? Where you say, okay, I wouldn't make that deal, like a million deaths. I would still make that deal. Still make that deal? Yep. Is there a number of coronavirus deaths where you would say, I would change my position? No. No, same with you? No. Absolutely not. What's the number? Yeah. Actually, no. There's no number. No, I think he's that dangerous to this country. Uh, Brad, I, uh, I don't, I, I'm almost left speechless after this you know you the cynical side of me watches this and you're like yeah you know i'm starting to believe that the democrat lawmakers you know the head of the dnc uh in general are they see this and they're trying to capitalize on this they're trying to close the economy for as long as possible if it will mean trump doesn't get reelected. and then you listen to these people on the street and you're like Okay, how someone tell me this is not what they're trying to do ultimately. Brad, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we've known that Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing for a long time. I certainly have some criticisms of the president, and every, there's nobody's perfect, but there are some people who absolutely have just become unhinged in the era of Trump. There's no doubt. There's also no doubt that a lot of crazy people live in New York. And shame <laughs> on anyone who would say, more dead Americans, get the Republican out of office. That's just awful. I don't even know where to begin with that. Though to play devil's advocate for one second, I mean, with the man on the street videos, they're always worth a laugh. They're always kind of insightful. But they're also a selected group. And I don't think most Democrats or most liberals would actually agree with that. Not the Washington types, not the activists. They might agree with that. But the average Democrat you stop maybe outside of New York City, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of 
San Francisco, I don't think they're actually on board with that. That's a truly, truly radical, horrible stance to take. Yeah, Stu, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree. The million dead uh, for a president. Uh, yeah, that's that's a bad. That's definitely a bad stance to take. Um, you know, it's it's funny. It's like they, you know, I, I would agree with Brad in that. Like, obviously, that's not everybody. Right. You know, it's not every Democrat, but still, it, it's amazing they, you can find on. anyone but that would on. say that. It's true, right? Yeah. And these are people who are obviously concerned enough to wear the masks. The masks, yeah. There's a lot of masks. If you're listening to the podcast, there's a lot of those people behind masks, which was amazing. I mean, you know, you're sitting there watching. You know, I, you know, we've all been to New York and spent time in New York. If you haven't, it's to me jarring just to look behind them where nothing's happening. There's no cars passing by very rarely. There's almost no one walking behind them in the middle of the day in New York City. Like, that's not normal. You're living in the middle of that. It's one thing if you were in a city that was unaffected. Maybe you're more skeptical. You're in the middle of New York City dealing with that, and still this is the way you're thinking about this. It's insanity. And remember, you know, as we talked about in the first segments, it's like Donald Trump is a person who's supporting these, like, drastic moves against, uh, you know, uh, uh, as far as shutting these things down. And he's the one who's chose the people who recommended it, right? Like, this is not a situation where um, Donald Trump has disagreeing, you'd think, with these people. It's just at this point, he's so in their heads, you know, he it's all-encompassing. And, you know, it's not everybody, but the fact that you can find one person who would say, I'd rather have a million people die than another guy get elected for four more years in office is, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. It's incredible. Uh, Brad, we spoke earlier about with uh, Jesse Kelly about uh, Trump reopening the economy. There have been reports that have said he is he's trying to uh, behind closed doors to get it reopened even hopefully quicker than May, which was his ultimate goal that he set publicly. Um, what what have been your thoughts on the economy shutting down in the first place? I know, you know, Jesse was very much a, uh, a pro-economy guy. We shouldn't have done it in the first place. Uh, so what say you? Are you very pro-social distancing quarantine or are you pro-economy yeah. from the start? So I've seen Jesse's commentary on this, and I say that I think he's making an important point. I would not go as far to the extreme as he has or as the other other side has and say keep everything shut down till Christmas. It's really hard. It's a really difficult question, right? Because when you're balancing public health, uh, that's really important. We're talking about people's lives. We're talking about the difference between 2 million deaths and 100,000 or 60,000. But at the same time, when we're talking about 16 million people having filed for unemployment in the last three weeks, I mean, I studied economics in college and I can tell you economic despair is human despair. Mm -hmm. It causes suicide suicides. It causes death. It causes heart attacks. It causes divorces. So we can't just act like, oh, is it it's stock market or human lives? Like That's just a foolish way to look at it. Uh, which So the economy act absolutely has to be a foremost concern. Uh, and we should listen to public health experts. But I agree with you that they're not in charge, ultimately, and they're not the only ones who get a say. We have to consider more than just what Dr. Fauci thinks is best. As important as that may be, we should should also probably hear what the Council of Economic Advisors thinks is best, too, and then hopefully meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I mean, this is a point that Dr. Fauci himself has made, yeah. right? Like, hey, I'm looking at one aspect of this. The president has a much larger responsibility. He has to look at the whole thing, the whole picture for everybody. And part of this, I think, is too, you know, as conservatives or maybe people who are uh, more uh, on the side of having a conversation about what trade-offs were, you know, we're, we're, you know, what are we losing here when it comes to the economy? Framing it in the word, uh, in the way of, of talking about the economy um, is probably the wrong way of talking about it. I mean, it legitimately is shorthand for our civilization, 
right? right? Like we lose our quote unquote economy. We are losing medical developments and technological developments and human health and all the things that Brad talked about as well. You know, real lives are at stake with this. It's not nothing. Um, and we've, you know, when you say economy, people are like, oh, well, you want your stocks to go up and you don't care if a bunch of, you know, or, old or people evil, are going to die. Corporations. Or corporations. Or, yeah, you want to lie in the pockets of an oil executive instead of, you know, you want grandpa to die. It's like, well, it's not, that's not the trade-off here. The, every adult knows that these decisions come with real, real problems. They're either side of this. I mean, if you open up the economy and we do get five, six, seven New Yorks, mm-hmm. like, that the economy is not going to be successful anyway. Yeah. So it is a it, the balancing act there is is very, very difficult. But we have to be smart about it and we have to be aggressive with it. And I think the American people are about to go insane. So we better find something for us to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when we come back, Barack Obama, uh, Joe Biden, he keeps waiting for that endorsement. And so far, crickets. <laughs> we will get into that in a minute. Awkward. <laughs> All right. Uh, Barack Obama, you know, he way back when, uh, not that long ago, he said that he would back the Democratic nominee so far since Biden has pretty much locked it down. Stu, I know you'll get into the predicted numbers uh, because according to predicted, it is not 100 percent certain (laughs) that Joe Biden will get the nomination. But uh, Bernie Sanders dropped out. Joe Biden, the last man standing Still no word from Barack Obama endorsing his former vice president. Uh, Now, Joe Biden, when he was on the campaign trail and there were others there, he said, look, I I told him not to endorse me. Please, I don't need his endorsement. I asked him not to do that. We all know that's not true. Right. Still. Yes, we're very much sure that that is not true, (laughs) even though that's what he says. Uh, You know, look, Barack Obama had a chance to pick the one person on earth, uh, or at least on the United States, who he thought would be the best leader of, of, of the country if something happened to him, and he picked Joe Biden. The fact that he is not just, he didn't come out right out of the gates with a big endorsement is incredibly telling, right? I mean, it could just be that he's a terrible friend. That's uh, possible that that's the answer. Or it could just be that, you know, he's seen enough of Joe Biden behind the scenes to realize that, eh, I don't know that this is a good choice. Now, to your point on predicted, it's like, you know, it's a betting market. I mean, they would say it's a it's an investing for prediction market. Uh, but it's a it's like kind of like, a you know, you get to put real money down to see who, you know, what you think is going to happen. And when a, when a candidate gets to be a sure thing, there's always a one or two percent chance that someone, God forbid, could have a health issue and drop out or a huge scandal could break. But when you've wrapped up a nomination, you're at 98, 99 percent. Right. He's at 88, 87 percent, something like that. Like they're leaving a 13 percent chance. He's ra- There's no other candidates. There's, there's a 13 percent chance. Now, surely that is, you know, I mean, I don't know. Unless someone knows something <laughs> that I don't know. Um, you know, that's probably people, you know, being a little bit aggressive with uh, with uh, long shots. There, for some reason, people think five, there's a 5% chance Hillary Clinton is going to win the nomination. She is oh, not. No. Um, you know, I mean, I, I would, you could, you could sell me on somebody else out of the blue more than you could sell me on Hillary Clinton. But the, but the bottom line is, like, you can tell people are just not confident. 
Right. They look at Joe Biden, and this includes, I think, um, uh, Barack Obama. They look at Joe Biden, they're like, this could go really bad. I don't really want my name on it. Mm -hmm. And I think specifically with with Barack Obama, he may know Biden is incapable of doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, he probably hoped that someone would just beat him so he didn't have to have this awkward moment. Eventually, I think he probably will come out and endorse. But it is telling how long it's taken. He should have been there on day one. He should have been there at the announcement. Yeah. cheering this guy on and campaigning for him all around the country if his his initial vice presidential pick was honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, apparently there's something that we don't know about there. Yeah. Brad, what are your thoughts? What is Obama waiting for? Stu took the words right out of my mouth, <laughs> right? Because when you pick somebody to be your vice president, you're saying, if I take a bullet, he's next. You're saying this is the second most capable man in America to be president of the United States. If Barack Obama felt that way uh, just years ago, and he doesn't now, clearly, uh, or he would have endorsed Joe Biden day one. That tells you something's changed. And maybe I have an alternate theory other than what Stu suggests. Maybe it's not so much that he doesn't think uh, maybe it's basically that he once thought Biden at, at his prime would have been a good president, mm-hmm. but he's seen the behind the scenes mental decline that we've only seen in snippets and stumbles and what state I, am I in and play the record player. Uh, maybe Barack <laughs> Obama has seen even more of that than we have and is worried about endorsing somebody for the White House, even if he's a good friend and even if he's uh, served with him and agrees with his beliefs that just can't handle the job. That's what my intuition tells me has happened here, but we've got to see an endorsement coming soon enough. I mean, this is just bizarre. Yeah. And I mean, it's true. Well, Brad, first, I I agree with you completely. That's I've thought, okay, maybe maybe Barack Obama is behind him before. But now every time Joe comes out in public, he doesn't even know what day it is. He doesn't know what state he's in. I mean, Barack Obama had to have been like, I'm just going to roll the dice and see what happens in this. Now he still isn't doing it. Does he wait until the convention? At that point, it's like, why even bother? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to come up with some justification as to what's going on, obviously the news is swallowed up by coronavirus right now. Potentially, maybe they just think it would make no impact at this moment. It's not going to help him get any more votes. He's already won the nomination, basically. Um, uh, So... There's an argument there, but there's also an argument of, you know what, Joe, Uh, let's wait till the convention, see what happens. Because I think there's a chance, you know, maybe he's thinking Joe will drop out or, you know, someone else will jump in. His wife has been talked about a lot, even though she says she has no interest in that, Um, you know, but you could see the drama would build because the idea of Barack Obama being there at the convention, holding out that long just keeps the door open for something else to happen. Yeah, Brad, uh, what do you think? The more sinister part of me is like, (laughs) he knows something is going to go down at the convention. What are your thoughts? Well, Stu just triggered me with that 5% Hillary Clinton statistic. I hadn't seen that, but I'm going to have nightmares tonight. So thank you both for having me on the show and doing that to me. Uh, but no, maybe Obama, if, if there really is, the betting markets are giving it a 10% chance of pulling a fast one on Sleepy Joe at the at the convention. Maybe Obama is hopeful that that might happen uh, and for some of the reasons we just talked about. And maybe that's what it's what what's behind this all. I can just say one thing, though, and it's almost like Joe Biden got this nomination by slow motion default, right? Like he, the least enthusiastic Democratic Party nominee in a long time. They basically were just like, "Uh, we couldn't come up with anyone better. Uh, uh, Take this guy. (laughs) 
true. <laughs> that is it really bizarre. is. I mean, that, that was it in a nutshell, yeah. completely. Uh, all right, we got to go to break. Brad Palumbo, deputy editor of the Washington Examiner. Thank you so much for being here, Brad. Uh, hope you enjoyed your maiden voyage. Also, love that flag. I got to find out offline where Thanks you got it. Me. Love it. Thanks for being here. We'll be back in a second. Like, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's something weird going on with that. There's something weird going on with that. All right, speaking of our last topic, yesterday's poll, will the Democrats try to replace Biden before November? Whoa! Wow. 80% of you said yes, <laughs> and 20% said no. Jeez, okay, well, that's where those predicted. Uh, yeah, they should go and predict it. They can make a lot going. of money if they believe that. Yeah, uh, because really. if you only think there's an 8 to 19% chance he gets the nomination after already winning it, uh, you got a lot of money to make. <laughs> that is incredible. Mm. And uh, not a lot of faith in Joe Biden. Today's poll question Should the White House continue its daily briefings or just hold a press conference when there is new? information. I kind of go back and forth on this. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they need to be as long as they are. I do like the information that they're putting out and like, it's nice to get a daily picture of it. I I don't think he needs to fight with reporters and talk about Joe Exotic uh, every day. (laughs) Well, yes, but it's good to be... I did like that moment, though. I did, too. It's good to be accessible because you don't want to be accused of not being accessible, right? Like, do the daily press briefings. If they listen to it, they listen to it. If they don't, they don't. Let us know what you think. Go to The Blazes Twitter. Thanks for joining us, Stu. Thanks for having me, Super Thanks for listening to the News and Why It Matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.